0: Pain is the agent of change. Mm. It's by allowing ourselves to feel the pain that we heal. And most people will do whatever they can to avoid the pain.
1: everyone, my name is Inharad George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness and successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard and confronted. In today's episode, I am talking to the wonderful Julia Samuel. Julia is a psychotherapist specialising in grief. She's worked as a bereavement counsellor in the NHS paediatrics department of St Mary's Hospital Paddington, where she pioneered the role of maternity and paediatric psychotherapist. In 1994, she helped launch and established Child Bereavement UK and as founder patron, continues to play an active role in the charity. Julia was appointed an MBE in 2016 for services to bereaved parents of babies. She is the vice president of British Association for Counselling and Psychotherapy and is an honorary doctor of Middlesex University. I first came across Julia through reading her incredible book, Grief Works, Stories of Life, Death and Surviving, which was published in 2017, and of which she writes... Every bereaved person I have worked with has left a mark in me. Grief Works is an expression of all I have learned from listening to hundreds of different people and aims to inform, support, inspire and campaign for them. Julia, I feel so incredibly lucky to have you here. So welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
0: It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to meet you.
1: I reached out to Julia for a different reason to my usual guests. Having found myself making incredibly bold statements about the effects of fatherlessness with absolutely no professional backing or grounding whatsoever, I thought it was incredibly important, not only for myself, but for my listeners and guests, to have someone on the podcast who actually knows what they're talking about. However, although, Julia, you aren't here for me to interview as I normally do, Um, I did read something on your website about why you wrote your book Grief Works, and I can't resist but ask you about it. You say I would like you to know what has motivated me for the last 30 years to work with loss of the individuals who are grieving in the person they love. So I'd love to start there and ask you what has been that motivation and perhaps linking that to why you think you originally started being a psychotherapist in the first place.
0: I mean, there are lots of reasons that led me to be a psychotherapist. And I, I think, as with most people, they're always very personal. Yeah. Mine, um one of the reasons was that my mum was bereaved of her father, her mother, her sister and her brother oh, wow. by the time she was 25. And my father had his father and his brother die before he was 25. Oh, my God. So I was brought up. In a house that was happy, and we had lots of happy times, but there were these black and white photographs um, of my aunts and my uncle and my grandparents who were never talked about, mm. and so and they were of a generation who fought in the Second World War. They were brought up by parents who'd who'd fought in the First World War, where death was never spoken about. You know, it was the generation: what you don't speak about isn't going to hurt you. And I think that left a huge mark in me about finding out what wasn't spoken and finding ways of speaking it. Yeah. I mean, the other big reason that I do this job is I love connection. I'm a twin. Um, and I don't really believe in altruism. I get a lot more from it than I ever give through the relationships I build with clients and other people in the work that I do. Mm.
1: It's actually so interesting that you, because it's through really the power So my, even the reason why I started this podcast is because through my own past year of of starting psychotherapy for myself, I just realized the power of speech. And for me, at least, it was, I mean, beyond invaluable and having so many thoughts in my head and also thoughts I never really was able to ever articulate because like you with your family and parents, you know, I grew up with, even though one generation less, but my mum with her mother and her father, who my grandmother's German and grew up in Nuremberg. So I think that same sort of keep your trauma to yourself. Silence. And then when obviously my dad died in this car accident that I was in, although there was probably slightly more, you know, we went to Winston's Wish for a weekend, but I think there was never really, you know, therapy or talking about it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen people transform just from speaking
0: I think it is I mean I think the key it doesn't have to be with a therapist I think I mean there are so many aspects you've touched on one is that we have this kind of magical thinking that if I talk about death if I think about death it might hasten my death or the person that I love Mm. and that sort of it's dangerous and frightening to speak about and that if I deny it and think it only happens to other people then I'll keep a distance from it for myself. Um, But also, you know, there are very many ways of expressing grief. So I I think I agree that often we have a kind of um, washing machine of thoughts that run round, circle us in our own heads and change colour and intensity but don't change while they remain inside us. And often through talking to someone who doesn't interrupt and just basically listens – And, you know, a trained therapist will do that, but you can do it with with other people. Mm. You find out a narrative, and people need to have an, an understanding of both the story of what's happened to them and the meaning and the feelings that are associated with that story. And by kind of giving yourself the space and time to go internally, find the words, enunciate the words... As you enunciate them, the feeling emerges and you have a much greater kind of 3D version of what's been holding you back or hurting you or or, um, frightening you. And, you know, as I say in my book, pain is the agent of change. Mm. It's by allowing ourselves to feel the pain that we heal. And most people will do whatever they can to avoid the pain. But I mean, there are you know, like you talked about tapping. There are many ways of expressing grief, and it might be so. It might be through the body. It might be through painting. It might be through music. It might be through journaling. So it isn't just speech, but speech is a very common helpful one.
1: Mm. And also, speech really helps for me at least, and I'm sure lots. You know, we all think so much. So what it does is it it helps. Rather than thinking those words, you sort of say them out loud. And and, and I noticed with my own sort of psychotherapy journey, and I, I totally agree, it's not about you can talk to anyone, but the beauty of speaking to a psychotherapist is, firstly, they, they're they someone who you trust in a professional setting and they are there to listen. And it's about you. And it's about you and you're allowed to be incredibly self-centred. And that's I found that quite difficult originally because it is... I don't know, we're sort of brought up to think that that's a bad thing. But actually, sometimes you really need that. You need to say, I feel this and I feel this. And there's some real liberation
0: from that. Um, And a liberation from expressing feelings that you don't like about yourself. I mean, often when people are grieving, they find versions of of themselves they never want, really don't like and feel quite profoundly ashamed of. Totally. So talking to someone in a kind of boundaried professional um way can be can be liberating Mm. so liberating oh my god (laughs) you find your monster and express this so you could be nice to your friends outside
1: oh my god and there are things that you and it all it's really interesting it all is like now I don't want to make this at all about... I keep going back to myself, but it's only because that's what I can really relate to. It's like therapy. The
0: most personal is the most universal. Yeah. So it's <laughs> fine of being about you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I found it was all... It all came as
1: in in a, in a sort of um, one step after the next. So the first thing that you start thinking that, that you sort of start saying might just be manifestations of things that you don't realize are the thing that you eventually will get to if that makes sense so something like so I used to suffer from social anxiety and and not in an obvious way but tightness and yeah 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 started dreading it oh totally and you know dizziness in certain situations and Little did I know that was all linked back to this unresolved trauma and all these different branches off that you would think have no sort of connection. And that's what I found with sort of talking and psychotherapy was this amazing way to map out those things, put them all on the table and then be able to digest and look at it as something which you can understand and and dissect and then let go of.
0: I mean, if human beings, it's like we're understanding with the planet that you know, you can't throw away plastic without it having consequences. Human beings are complex organisms that are multifaceted. Mm. And so, if you injure one part of you, it will affect every part of you. Mm. And you can't hive off the part that you don't like and don't want to think about, thinking that it's going to mean that you can sort yourself out for the rest of the way that you operate in the world or how you function in the world. So we are, you know, we're affected by ourselves externally, Mm. but we are very affected by ourselves internally. And the more we shut down, you know, I often think about it as bandwidth. So, I mean, the listener can't see my hands, but um, if you have pain one end of yourself and you have um, joy the other end... The more you block your pain, the more you also block your capacity to feel joy. So your mm-hmm. bandwidth yeah. is foreshortened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you find ways of talking about the things that you didn't realize that were connected to your behavior and your experiences, mm. then you, you your bandwidth gets less and less. And we're very habitual beings. I mean, what's good about you is the earlier you intervene, mm the more flexible and open you become and the more your kind of life chances and your outcomes are, the more people use the same defences, be it alcohol or just emotionally shutting down. Busyness is probably the most common yeah. now. Yeah. Um, busyness and any kind of anaesthetic.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: whatever that is. Then that is it's harder and harder to break. So yeah. doing it in a 55-year-old is a much bigger you know it's much more heft and difficulty than you
1: yeah i'd love to go back and ask you because i've come up with this bizarre theory i had most recently um a guest who actually ended up this not being able to be applied to them because their dad actually didn't fight um and didn't see stuff firsthand but previous to him this is my most recent episode with Tim, Sir Tim Waterstone, I um, was thinking about how, and you talk about your family and how everyone locked up their traumas and that being sort of post-war. Um, for good contextual reasons. I mean, yeah. they had to get on.
0: They didn't but, have a choice. They no, had no one listening.
1: Exactly. And do you think that masculinity or this idea of fathers and there might be some sort of link to these wars that we've had for... for you know the first world, war, the second world, war, and all those in between. Fathers who have been suffering from PTSD or unresolved trauma and not being able to speak. And I don't know—is there a link there, or am I just what, going off? What's it?
0: your theory? Is your theory that men, transgenerationally through history, have had to fight, and so they've shut down more? Yeah, that, and the impact of that.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Well, of course, culture has a, an enormous influence yeah. on what we deem is appropriate, what is allowed and what isn't allowed. Mm. And that's normally through things like behavior, like crying in public or expressing your feelings. Those messages are behavioral and they're often not even voiced so they're more powerful than if you're voiced because you can fight against something that's voiced. Yeah. So they're implicit. You know, men should be strong. Women are allowed to express themselves, and women and men. Um, you know, we all know that people feel the pain the same. It just comes out differently and and maybe felt um, slightly differently, but it's the level of it is the same. So I think historically, obviously, there's a, a huge um, influence from men's behavior and some of that will be having to go out and actually fight um and you can't afford to feel when you're fighting you need to be able to shut down and and operate a machine gun or a yeah um whatever it is a tank so i think it's an influence i think it's it's very cultural i think it's changing um And I think men are very confused about what's expected of them and what they can expect of themselves. But I think women can be extremely shut down. I mean, Mm. so when you look at grief, the expression of grief, there are kind of lots of um, familiar patterns is that men tend... when men are grieving men tend to get on and move forward go back to work earlier if they have a child die they want to have another child Mm -hmm. and women tend to mourn so there's a there's a dual process in grief where you're loss oriented where you need to allow yourself to express and feel your pain but you also are restorative oriented where you need to be able to get on and have hope for the future and um have a break from the grief mm. and you oscillate between the two. So you need to allow yourself to do both at different times. Yeah. Research shows that men tend to be restorative yeah. and women tend to be loss-oriented. But you can get women like men and vi- and vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, nothing is always... Yeah. It's so interesting that you say that
1: because I even remember as a teenager, you know, friends of mine whose mothers had died or... um or you know divorced parents I, I remember spe- speaking to a friend of mine whose mum died and we were talking about how her dad um, had moved on quite quickly and then noticing you know other I just remember noticing it as a child just lots of dads getting
0: other partners Um So the expression quicker. is women mourn and re- men replace Yeah yeah exactly <laughs> So men tend to get <laughs> reconnected with a new partner a yeah. year after their partner died Yeah And women can take much longer, three years, five years, never.
1: Yeah. Why is that? Is that just some sort of, is that a biological thing or do you think?
0: I think it's very hard to unpick. Yeah. I think um, men are very frightened of being on their own. Yeah. Um, Women have many more relationships, other women friends that support them. So men that don't remarry or reconnect fare very badly they get much more depressed and more suicidal and have much worse mm-hmm. outcomes than women because they're quite bad at looking after themselves health-wise. I mean, this is these stats tend to come from the older generation because they're the ones that mm-hmm. are, are widowed. So I think as you look through the generations our attitude and men's attitude to themselves changes, you know, an eight-year-old man will have a different attitude to the generations that come after him. And when you get to 20 year olds, it would be very, very different again. Yeah. I mean, your brother, did he mourn very differently to you? Yeah, both
1: my brothers, they mourned very differently. And I've got two sisters as well, and I think we've all just mourned incredibly differently.
0: So in a family, you have a family system. And... Often I think about it as an image, a mobile, and so there were seven members of your family: your mum and dad and five children. So if you take out one part of that mobile, the whole system is tilted, like a mobile. If you cut out, mm-hmm. you know, a piece of that mobile, and everybody within that family system will grieve differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the thing that's very difficult difficult within a family. So what works with families and gives best outcomes is if each member of the family does both give permission for everyone to grieve in the way that they do, but also talks about what's allowed and how they do it, have open communication and trust. Often what happens is that internally you're pissed off with your brothers because they've gone partying or they've gone busy, whatever they've done, and you're feeling miserable in your bed. Mm. I mean, I don't know what it was, but whatever. The, yeah, yeah. Um, then that builds up uh, gaps of connection. So the place that you want to feel closest and most supported in the end becomes a fractured organization rather right. than one yep. that's connected and safe. Yeah. Because really, you siblings know better than anyone else yeah. what it feels like because each of you have actually had the same experience. Mm, yeah.
1: That's so interesting. The fractures that aren't meeting with each other because it's all different ways of dealing with something,
0: but also the pre-existing fault lines. Yeah. So whatever the relationships and the difficulties were there before, they tend to intensify when there's a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it depends also on the support that you will get as a as a gang. Mm. So you know the biggest um, indicator f- for someone is the love and support they get at the time. And yeah. following the death. Right. Not the circumstances of the death. Yeah. That's what that's the most important aspect. And and that is basically love and connection, that you need to feel love and connected. The greater the trauma, so the yeah. more it's a death out of time. So it's a young person. It's a sudden unexpected death, that it's a traumatic death, like a car crash. Right. The greater the trauma, the greater the length of time it takes to both be able to be open enough to be able to do some of the emotional work. Mm but also the the recovery the the kind of rebuilding and repairing takes longer yeah. because the hole is bigger yeah so you know with your family i imagine it was a very big hole mm. and there were a lot of you so there were a lot of competing demands between you as children from your mum from yeah, your yeah. mum and i don't know what support she had mm-hmm. so you know that's a complex scenario yeah yeah
1: but going talking about grief uh because of course this podcast talks about um also living sorts. losses yes so I,
0: not just death
1: yes and you spe- you specialize in death my next book is about living losses i oh, just is finished it, it. Oh, yeah. i see yeah cuz i'd love to know uh and then obviously then we'll get on to fatherlessness but i'd love to know how you sort of define grief if if that's even possible but because obviously there's the purest sense of grief that people know about which is death and grieving someone who's died. But the grief and the consequences from someone leaving or um, never having had someone is is do those do they all sort of connect and
0: I think grief's a universal term. yeah um, it, it's a, uh, an experience of pain. Expressing yeah. pain. Yeah, I think mourning is much more associated with death. Right, yeah. And grief, I think, can be the grief from a breakup of a boyfriend. Yeah. It, grief starts at the point of diagnosis. So you have a parent or a partner that's given a, a medical diagnosis. That grief starts then. Um, and I think in some ways terminology matters. And in other ways it doesn't matter. As yeah. long as you know what you mean by it. Mm.
1: And dealing with something... Like grief. Obviously, there are so many different ways, and we've already spoken about the power of speaking and, you know, recognizing your pain rather than, as we naturally will try and do, and just avoid it because it's easier actually and it's less painful
0: for the for the temporary time. But how? I think. Would... I mean, I th- do think that is a delusion that we all have. that yeah. it's easier. Right, yeah, I think it scares us, yeah, because we're frightened. If I begin to let myself feel this pain, maybe it's actually going to kill me, yeah, yeah, um, and I think it's lack of information and lack of understanding of how we are as human beings, yeah, so I kind of think, of course, no one wants to feel pain, so in some ways, logic would tell you if I don't feel my pain, then I'll be fine, yeah, but actually, the energy and the loneliness and the effort it takes to block pain in even at the beginning is much greater than if you can trust yourself to allow yourself to let what is in you be expressed yeah i hate the word closure Mm. so particularly if it's you know someone who's never met their parent or um as you were saying You know, lots of different ways through divorce, through all sorts of somebody a parent going abroad, or by death. Um, I think what we don't know, we imagine, Mm. and what we imagine can fill us with kind of longing and and confusion. Mm. So there, they are very different losses: death by grief, by death, and grief by someone choosing to leave or circumstances making them leave or whatever yeah. the thing is because um, what you don't know is haunting mm. so if somebody dies in a way that you don't quite know what happened what the, the bereaved person doesn't know obsesses them Yeah, you know did they suffer how long were they alive for you know with your dad I imagine you didn't you know what you don't know happened in some ways you don't want to know but another way knowing it means there's you can face it. Yeah. Right? It's the truth. People need the truth. Yeah. Um, I think living loss is, it's very complex because if the person's alive and they've chosen not to know their own child or not be with their own child, there's so much kind of mm. abandonment issues and, and fury and rage, and which you have when you're grieving, but it's quite black and white. It's over. Yeah. With the living loss, it stays in you. Yeah. So to get to the point of what I was trying to say, I never think there's closure with bereavement. I think um, how we grieve is by allowing ourselves to feel the pain and remembering the person that's died. So having touchstones to memory. So it may be by wearing something of theirs, it may be cooking their recipe, it may be mm-hmm. walking where you always walk together. So I think, you know, 20 years after somebody died, you can hear a Bob Dylan song which you knew was your dad's favourite song and you'll feel it very intensely and that won't mean that you haven't done the grief work that you're kind of meant to do. It's just that it lives in us and it's either foreground or background Mm. depending where we are in our life.
1: Yeah. Oh my God, there are so many questions I want to ask you. (laughs) I'm going to start with this one. So a huge part of my podcast is also looking at success within fatherlessness can i just question the word fatherlessness because everybody
0: has a father
1: i know i've used it because it was my way of i guess generalizing uh the different versions of growing up in some respect without a father and so i didn't even when i when i said the word i didn't even know if it was a real word and actually it is but <laughs> when i initially said it it was just everyone has a father of course but it was just um the lack of the, the lack of presence of a yeah father. the lack of that father and i guess it was the easiest term for me to yeah. use um but the podcast is looking at so for various reasons one because i felt incredibly lost and stuck in the past in my own sort of trauma and until i started talking about it so i was fascinated with people who could suffer trauma and specifically to do with their father because that's what mine was about and actually channel that energy into something incredibly positive for themselves, even though that has, as we know, no reflection on their personal lives. It's just to do with their kind of, I was looking at more career and, and having focus and having direction and purpose. But the second reason was having done sort of
0: Clinton, Obama. Lots yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Everywhere. And I this is the other thing. I then started noticing being interested in why this wasn't being spoken about, why fatherlessness wasn't being... Voiced, even though it seemed to be so hugely prevalent for so many different people and caused so much issue for so many people, you know, and so much trauma. And it sort of quickly became way more and bigger than my own personal journey. And so the other thing of looking at it was I noticed this huge correlation between people who were incredibly successful and who had spoken out, let alone those who hadn't, about their their relationship either because they didn't have a father or because they had some sort of tainted relationship with their father. So I guess my question to you is
0: um But the ones that don't voice it doesn't mean they're not there, who weren't successful. Yeah you no were, Yeah, yeah yeah. We just don't have the stats.
1: No, exactly. I know.
0: I mean I don't know the not the answer. Yeah. But But there'll be much fewer people who are successful than unsuccessful, that's for
1: sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Whatever, however you define success. Yeah, exactly. However,
1: I know, this is another whole thing, like how do you (laughs) define success? Yeah. (laughs) But for the sake of the podcast, it's to do with kind of career and looking at that. Like that doesn't, as I say, have any sort of anything to do with someone's personal life.
0: It might be well and truly fucked up. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm. But this is something I was wondering with the whole... um, drive and how i've noticed that this sort of need to prove or um and a lot of it linked to the father and i guess i'm interested from my original question was to do Shall with should i tell you what i think yeah can you can you save me
0: <laughs> <laughs> so our experience as um, human beings informs our belief system mm-hmm. so whatever experience we have whether we're abandoned by our father or we have a good relationship with our father, that will inform our belief system about trust, about who we can trust, about what matters in life, Mm -hmm. and about what to expect and how to behave in every kind of level. So how we are in relationship, about what matters. And, you know, as you talked about the hole, when someone is left, there is always a hole. Yeah and how each of us reacts to that whole is is very different mm. and i think the types of people that you're talking about which are the more kind of as we'd short um cut it is sort of a a, a, a are they called type a you know right. who yeah. who achievers ch- achievers um Theirs is basically, fuck you, I am going to be okay, Mm -hmm. I am going to survive, so Mm -hmm. I'm going to work incredibly hard, I'm going to do what I can, and it will come out in many, many different ways, from Tim Waterstone, who obviously had a very conflicted relationship with his dad, to all sorts of other well-known and and, um, sort of well-known people and that, and that's your answer yeah because but other people will go i'm useless yeah and that and i can't i'm i'm not loved i'm yeah. not lovable yeah there's no point i'm going to give up and yeah. then there's everything in between
1: yeah and actually interestingly even some of those type a's as you say were they still feel i'm not obviously speaking for everyone, but, but they they also may feel unlovable in a relationship sense and another psychotherapist told me quite recently um, that trauma comes out in your relationships, hence the term daddy issues, <laughs> or I don't know, having that, that's, that's where all your vulnerability, you can, uh, you know, I don't know if I'm generalizing again here and please put me in my place if I am, but especially, you know, powerful women in, in workplaces may be incredibly different when they get home and the relationship that they have with their partners. But, you know, the, the type A's that you describe, do you think that's, biological or can someone then learn to kind of change the way that they sort of feel something in order to make it focus and to make themselves have that kind of value that someone else may have or that self-belief?
0: So I think all of us it's it's never just one thing yeah you know it's psycho-physiological Psychological, and it's in your in your environment and where you are, and what happens to you afterwards. So there are mm. so many components. Um, but what we know is that if you have secure tra- attachment as a man or a woman or whatever, however you define yourself as a person, um, that will enable you to form. That will influence every aspect of your life, in forming relationships, in how you see the world. And how you kind of walk through your world, yeah, um, and I mean that's that's it. So even, it's, but what research also shows that you fundamentally to kind of so no one has this perfect life of perfect mother and father of the sort of Waltons, but what research shows. Is sort of two things in a way is that you only need one good parent, yeah. So if you have one yeah. good enough in the Winnicott term, one good enough parent, that is good enough, yeah. What we also know is that we, we kind of do want to be brought up by a village, so we do need mm-hmm. about nine people, um, in our life that are interested in us and support us. So if we have enough of that, we can fare very well. Mm. Um, And if we're told the truth and have all sorts of other things that are involved, then we are likely to fare well in our life.
1: And another question I'd love to ask is, so I've noticed a huge,
0: uh, and again, please put me in my place, but I've noticed... You ask big questions with very unsimple answers, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So there's never black and white. You want (laughs) a black and white. But that's why that book, like, you know, the 10 rules of life. life people love that everyone wants ten rules I know. if I do the ten rules then I'll be fine yeah but life is not like that no our brains are not like that no <laughs> it's complicated
1: yeah and so fathers seem to really hold the baton when it comes to identity and self-worth and the, the word identity really comes up a lot when 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 I during my interviews and f- especially for women, self-worth. And I think that self-worth is shown in relationships. Does that resonate with you at all? Um, why is it that fathers seem to hold that baton more so than mothers?
0: I mean, identity is a sort of having a, a sense of identity of all of you that you value, that who you find yourself to be is of value, is the cornerstone to mental health. Mm. So again, this thing, if, if you... Uh, uh, a young person or a woman who never had a relationship with the most primary male in your life, Mm. that was your dad, that will affect your self-esteem as someone who is worthy of love from men. Mm. And, you know, the sort of um, way we often often act out, we recreate the situation we have, hoping this time we're going to fix it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the common thing is women choose men who are unavailable yeah. hoping that this time they're gonna heal the wound and succeed in a way that they failed with their dad but not doing it consciously yeah yeah um, I mean that's the most kind of common way yeah but there are many ways that we um, get stuck mm. and the and the there are no You know, as I've said, there's no simple answers, but understanding ourselves, understanding the awareness of what our instincts are, what the motivations of those instincts are, how they've been informed by experience, the the greater understanding we have of that, the greater knowledge we have of our own internal landscape, the more choices it gives us. Mm. So we fall into that hole very quickly. But the more knowledge we have, it gives us the... The choice is to kind of take a breath, step back, think about it, and then decide, you know, there's this guy who I'm instantly attracted to. What is that about? Mm. I know that he's whatever. I've heard all these things about him, but, you know, I really like him and I think it's going to be okay this time. Story <laughs> <laughs> of my life. <laughs> um, then then it might you might be worth rethinking mm. what what influences that because we feel... Far faster than we think. So eighty percent of decision making comes from our sp- subjective experience and mm. not our thinking. Right, and that's true of everybody: prime ministers, doctors.
1: God, that's so interesting.
0: Presidents. Yeah. So our, again, our experience is informed everything in our system by yeah. everything. Yeah. So the more understanding we have of that and what our default mechanism is, yeah, then we. I mean, the big thing is to slow down. Mm. and kind of give ourselves a chance to talk to a girlfriend, to really work out for yourself or a boyfriend or whoever it is or write a journal to yourself, what's that about? Because then you can yeah. make better choices and better decisions. Yep. But also the research shows now, by the way, about fathers, because this is in my new book, that they are much more involved. So yep. kind of fathers from, you know, the 20th century you know, right up to about 15, 20 years ago, were really seen as absent, mm-hmm. that they were the main, because of the way society was made, they were the main breadwinner um, and they were kind of lambasted for not being, not earning enough money if they didn't, but also for not being close enough and connected fathers. Mm-hmm. But fathers themselves now are changing and what they expect of themselves as fathers and what their partners expect from them as fathers is very different yeah. and that creates lots of questions and confusions but it is it is very different that landscape yeah now.
1: lots of questions and confusions but also lots of room
0: for fathers yeah like paternity leave even or for, or, you know, yeah or, or More
1: options for, for them yeah for, so i know a lot men, of people yeah.
0: who you know the mother might take six months off and then the father will take six months off and yeah. then they kind of you know rejig it i mean it's with flexible working, you know, life is really changing. Yeah, yeah. And really how we is. parent, how we partner, how we work is really changing. Yeah. Oh, definitely.
1: And also, this is, might come across quite bold, but the, you know, in, in, men have basically sort of repressed not only women, but also themselves in terms of their expectations and the societal norms and all that kind of stuff. And that's all, as you say, changing. Um,
0: and their need for connection. And just to yeah. go back to your thing about fatherlessness, the other thing that research shows is that it, when you're looking at identity, the the aspect that fathers have most influence is confidence. Oh,
1: interesting. Yeah. And why do you think that is? Because I've, I mean, I've noticed that, but not had the backing to sort of...
0: I don't, I don't really know. I mean, there's such a debate about gender, so it's hard to kind of go from men and women and are they really different or is that, again, a sort of social construct? Um, I think being abandoned by anybody affects your confidence. So maybe if you talked about motherlessness yeah. too, but the research talks about fathers as, as to do with confidence. I think fathers... Are Tend so everything is is never you know sometimes but they tend to be more physical like you'll see a father pick up a baby and throw a baby in the air and run around and they're happy for the child to kind of experience things and test things and push and women tend to be much more God don't do that (laughs) and I think that physical contact that physical playing you know if you see a dad with a child they'll roll around them they'll have them on their feet and bounce them up and down (laughs) I think all of that gives you a sense of your own personhood and your physical connection you're not just being held by a mother or suckled by a mother yeah
1: yeah
0: um I don't know interesting yeah
1: and actually we don't have too long left but I'd love to ask you this question having done all the work that you've done and I'm sure that you've come across, I mean, so many different things, but say, for example, you've noticed if there are any sort of patterns with people who have had some sort of fatherless upbringing or have some sort of bad relationship with their father or um, and so forth, it, what is if there is a difference between the effects on men as there are on women with that?
0: So men who have absent fathers versus women who have absent fathers. Yeah. I don't think it's very different. Yeah. Of course they're affected by it, dramatically affected by it. They can't not be. Yeah. Um, They're affected maybe in different ways, but maybe similar ways. Yeah. Fathers have a massive impact on men. Yeah, huge. Yeah. So I I, I I think it's impossible to kind of put it into a tidy box. Yeah. Well, thank you
1: so much, Julia Samuel. You've been incredible. It's been so lovely having you on here. And thank you for, yeah, just clarifying lots of different things.
0: Pleasure. Um, I have a website if people want to look up, which is www.griefworks.co.uk. And if issues have come up for you, there's a What Helps section, which has eight pillars of strength, but also um, links to... All the counseling organizations so if something's come up for you that that would help then do connect with that thanks Amazing. thank you so much pleasure mm.
1: thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the podcast as always please don't hesitate to get in touch with us via our website www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com a special thanks goes out to Warren at Walkie Productions who did all my sound and Aaron and Ben at Interface who did my website and graphic design make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify to stay tuned with new episodes and of course spread the Daddy Issues message. Have a lovely rest of your day and thank you once again for listening